0: The example of like Action AI, where it was um, um, a tool to help you uh, extract key points and then track them through time to try to identify like emotion or Mm. classify that into something. Um, Like for example, we took that base kind of modeling uh, to then feed into another prototype project where we're trying to identify deepfakes.
1: What we have done is uh, been preparing for uh, a lot of content that we want to share, especially for this kind of. developer, and so there's platforms like Hackster, DevPost, places where there's like uh, hackathons going uh, (laughs) going on, and we'd like to tap into those communities.
2: Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Future of Product. My guests today are Salma Mayorkin and Terry Rodriguez, co-founders at Remix AI. Sam and Terry, it's so nice to meet you both. Uh, Would you mind introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit more about your journeys with Remix?
1: Thanks. Thanks for hosting us. Uh, I'm Terry, uh, co-founder of Remix. Uh, We've been working together for a few years, and most recently we've been building Remix AI. It's a platform for enabling users to create custom machine learning models, especially computer vision ones right now, just using simple prompt and high-level description.
0: Yeah. Thanks for hosting us again. I think it's it's lovely to, to be here and, and be able to chat with you. And my name is Salma. I'm also a co-founder of Remax AI. Uh, Terry and I have indeed been working about 10 years together. Uh, we've been very deep into the AI ML space. Um, we started off hosting a blog called Smells Like ML, where we started open sourcing a bunch of our work over the years. Uh, and that kind of snowballed into all kinds of opportunities, working with all kinds of groups in robotics, healthcare. Um, I recently did a stint at Databricks, which is an organization that uh, is involved with like uh, big data and AI infrastructure. So all those kind of experiences have now led us into the path of starting up Remix AI this year, which is uh, we officially incorporated around yeah, March. So it's it's been a few months. Uh, so we have a, a long way to go yet, but uh, we're really excited to kick it off.
2: Awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, to start off, let's talk a little bit more about Smells Like ML. Um, well, first of all, great name. I do wonder what ML <laughs> smells like.
0: Um, <laughs> Terry has a great story about how that name came about. Oh, yeah, so let's hear it. it.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, it's a, you know, a reference to Smells Like Teen Spirit, but mm-hmm. um, it's also uh, our... Goal was to try to create ML content we were sharing that was aimed more at conveying the intuition. You know, when we started the blog, we thought there was a lot of uh, kind of introductory content, and we wanted to do more with showcasing ML and application and uh, uh, custom applications that we were building and how we saw uh, this tool fitting into the products we wanted to create.
0: Yeah. Nice kind of hitting on on uh, that idea or extending it, we were really developing our intuition for how we would use the technology, um, how we might anticipate it would work and play a role in building like a, a larger project. So it's very much kind of like smell, uh, mm-hmm. kind of hinting to intuition.
1: Yeah, since the people uh, associate with intuition or kind of uh, um, yeah, your, your, uh, your gut,
2: <laughs> gotcha gotcha well first of all i uh i love nirvana so great reference um
0: <laughs>
1: what
2: what kind of motivated you guys to uh to start this right because y'all have been in the ai space for some time now
0: yeah yeah
1: um uh, for smells like ml um we were we were interested in putting out um our, our projects and we saw that as kind of um an ideas lab we uh mm-hmm. have been exploring different ideas and thinking about Uh, where there might be an opportunity to build product, but um, as we were exploring more with the Remix idea that we started at the beginning of the year, we felt like there was a clear product need. Um, We'd been working in uh, helping other groups in their machine learning initiatives as ICs or the single individual in a company trying to start off some initiative or Um, consulting with groups that uh, have bigger teams and is part of bigger uh, engineering efforts. And uh, there's a lot of problems that uh, both experts and novices face. Something like data access can be a blocker for for anybody. Um, But we saw the the chance to use data generators, image generators to help uh, 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 alleviate that problem. We saw a lot of people struggling through challenges converting models like What works in research maybe requires a lot of modification before it can make it into product. And in Mm -hmm. product, you might face a lot of the real world constraints for, you know, is this model fast enough? Is it accurate enough? And it takes a lot of expertise to find the right part of the uh, trade-off there. So bringing bringing something that uh, works um, in a academic benchmark data set pretty Mm -hmm. well into production where you face different constraints and trade-offs was a challenge and we saw a chance to um, build up some of that machinery and, and uh, some of these tools with Generative AI were uh, doing a lot to help resolve those gaps with data access.
0: Yeah, so I think the idea is through the years of experience that we've had working with various groups, you know, as Terry described the various levels of expertise, we found that there were still some recurring same blockers that a lot of these mm-hmm. organizations were experiencing. So for example, as Terry said, the lack of data Um, You could be a large organization with plenty of data, but now you're stuck with the problem of processing it before handing it off to the machine learning engineers to actually produce a model out of it. Or you could be at the place where you don't even want to do data licensing, or you're not really interested in building up the infrastructure just to get a test or an experiment out. Mm -hmm. So. We saw with the latest advancements you know, in the last year or so with generative AI and LLMs, uh, be able to construct a product that could help bring down some of those barriers and get more people through the finish line, just getting started, just getting something up. And as we continue developing the product, be able to support and abstract, essentially ML infrastructure, uh, mm-hmm. machine learn, custom machine learning into a service that most people could use with minimal expertise required.
2: I see. Kind of building the scaffolding for the future that we all see coming where this is a must have for every business, right? Exactly. Sure. I
0: think the promise of AI has been around for many years now mm-hmm. uh, prior to the, the, the breakthroughs that we've had recently. But, um, you know, we're still experiencing a lot of the problems, a lot of the, the, the baggage in some way that, you know, ML mm-hmm. infrastructure uh, is to just being able to produce like a machine learning model that then gets used in another context.
2: Yeah. I see. It makes a ton of sense. So, so just to rewind a little bit, um, could I hear a little bit more about both of your individual kind of paths to AI and, and what led you to want to specialize in this in, in the first place? Because like I mentioned earlier, you two have been in the field for some time long before all the hype kind of came around, right?
1: I guess um, I got into machine learning um, as a career around 2014, prior to that, I was doing a lot in math, and I was interested in analysis and optimization. But as I was looking for ways to apply that, uh, that training, I uh, became really interested in the machine learning problem and automation. I, I started in, uh, in healthcare. And so I was, Mm -hmm. this was an experience that I had as, um, you know, the only person representing that that uh, initiative in a large organization that has, you know, politics and it's highly regulated, data access is difficult. Mm. And um, through that experience, I, I learned um, a lot about uh, processing text and data and um, building cloud cloud infrastructure around that. But uh, I became really excited by what I was seeing with uh, computer vision. This is probably mm. sort of 2016, 2017, deep learning had, uh, was starting to take off. Maybe uh, 2015, 2016, it became easy with the tools that were out there. And uh, I wanted to invest more in that. It looked like uh, deep learning was a was a powerful tool for approaching a lot of different problem types, different domains, different data types. So I really wanted to build out more experience with that. Became uh, We became very excited by what we were seeing with uh, how people were able to go to market in the internet economy Mm. it seemed like it was easier for a maker to reach an audience and make a real product and i guess we started experimenting a lot with hardware products around that time and putting out a lot of our projects prototyping like uh ai enabled iot projects to learn Mm. more about the constraints that you face building uh building out those kind of uh tools i guess more recently like as we had been Doing more with vision and video and deep learning and kind of maybe more interested in software than, than hardware, it's uh, easier to, to reach your users. We, um, we really became interested in trying to Address these problems around building ML infrastructure, um, doing more automation, using synthetic data, data generators and uh, procedurally generated data to uh, gotcha. deal with these problems. And we've always been working as a small team with limited resources. So we've had to use transfer learning and be, learn to be very efficient with limited data. So hmm. I think this experience kind of like put us in a, on a mindset, um, where we could we could help other people especially in that 0 to 1 phase when they're trying to uh bring all the resources required to stand up that that uh demo or get that first version out so that they can iterate i see
0: yeah. gotcha And I think um, my journey into AI was definitely influenced by Terry's journey. Um, I was still in college when Terry was starting out in that healthcare organization, and I was observing a lot of what he was into, um, generally what was happening in software overall. And I also have, uh, I discovered my love for hardware. Um, I started off kind of self-teaching myself about um, computer science through working with Arduinos. So I was kind of tinkering around a lot in that area. And what excited me the most about that space was uh, the idea of being able to one day um, have intelligent systems or software systems that can power things like hardware that they can actuate in the real world and interact with us. I thought Mm -hmm. that was super cool to get involved in, and I kind of just wanted to figure out if there was a way to intersect those two fields. And I think when Terry and I started Smells Like ML and we were really looking into computer vision, perception systems, uh, we were experimenting a lot in that space of putting models on Raspberry Pis, which at the time was you know, mm. not really supported, um, but it was very fun to make. Um, and so through, through that intersection, we were experimenting on how do we uh, bring machine learning systems to constrained worlds like you know, small hardware devices or you know, limited scopes or uh, limited resources like data resources that we had to bring together and curate to be able to train these models. Um, and after some experience of kind of working on a consultancy basis and open sourcing these projects, I kind of wanted to expand to see how organizations that were a little bit more developed or were looking to be more developed, how do they approach this problem? How do they set up this like massive, vast infrastructure? Uh, And that led me to Databricks to help out with uh, kind of their initiatives to help support, be the ML expert in terms of uh, advising folks in their infrastructure Mm. uh, to be able to be able to service and create these products uh, so through that experience I was able to broaden my horizons from kind of the the smaller prototype uh, world to kind of like the larger uh, enterprise or commercial you know startup kind of infrastructure that you might yeah. expect or hope to get if you're trying to do these problems nowadays uh, and I think that through th- those experiences still seeing the same patterns kind of emerge you know depending on what stage you were in they were still kind yeah. of there, um, and also just inspired by all the innovation this last you know, year or so, I think that sparked my interest uh, with Terry to come together and bring uh, Remix to fruition.
2: Very cool, very cool. So you both mentioned kind of um, playing around with hardware and and you know IoT type of things. What, what type of stuff were y'all building?
1: Oh, well, we've made a lot of, um, I guess, ideas around smart cameras, right? Uh, Cameras are a really cheap sensor, and there's so much information you can get from Mm -hmm. a camera feed. So for us, um, prototyping different projects um, with, with like, little rovers or uh, little, like, um,
0: like home automation
1: tools. (laughs) Yeah, we use, uh, like, TurtleBot or... Um, oh, just have some custom things. Yeah. Our <laughs> they're around, everywhere. Flying little drones around, <laughs> like just uh, trying to explore the different contexts that we could uh, uh, be be uh, learning machine learning with. And I guess um, I think I think that was important for us mm-hmm. to uh, kind of get a broadened perspective on on the problem. You know, uh, especially lately, like uh, there's a lot of the narrative around mm-hmm. how like bigger and bigger models and and uh, massive clusters is mm-hmm. the, the way forward for AI. And that's true for uh, some types of uh, uh, AI that's happening. But it's also true that um, we, we will expect to see a lot of products that have cameras on everywhere to enable them to move around in the world. Mm-hmm. So they'll need to perform perception. They'll need to perform scene understanding. All of that processing, uh, it's not realistically happening anytime soon Mm where we're all just streaming uh streaming a continuous feed of video up to some server like this and so the practice that people are using is bringing these models down to the edge and it's getting cheaper to bring powerful processors closer to the camera so Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need a massive gpu to run these smaller models but you can benefit from small hardware accelerators that are cheap enough to embed with the camera and so it's a different um paradigm for uh how you're deploying machine learning and it comes with these additional challenges so we're interested in helping people around kind of these really technical uh uh, paths to bringing vision Mm -hmm. uh we're seeing a lot of breakthroughs in uh being able to reason about text and you know go from few instances of text to um Doing, doing, you know, spectacular feats in automation with ChatGPT, but there's not um, some ability similar to that for vision yet, where you can mm. quickly adapt to some limited uh, context and then have a, a you know very performant solution for vision. Yeah, I
2: see. Did, did you have anything to add there, Simon?
0: I think uh, kind of reflecting back on some of my favorite uh, hardware mm. projects that we've done. Um, one of our earlier ones is called Yoga AI. Okay. Uh What we did was use a raspberry pi right and we put it behind a kind of one-way glass mirror that uh would allow you to practice yoga so it would identify your poses, and it would have like a kind of like a voice agent that would guide you through a flow so it would be able to identify if you did it right and then move you to the next step (laughs) otherwise (laughs) it would keep you in like you have to make sure you're hitting the pose um, but I thought that was like uh, a one really fun project and also yeah. kind of like a great example of why you might want to consider um, mm-hmm. like, you know, small um, edge type yeah. of computer vision. You know, that might be an application where you might not be, your, your customers might not be comfortable streaming yoga poses up to the cloud necessarily. Right. Um, it could be done down at the mm-hmm. edge. Uh, it still be functional along with like other systems that are operating on that Raspberry Pi, something like super mm-hmm. minimal. And we did this at a time where it was like 2018, 19. So it was really early. And I'm, I'm sure like nowadays there's even more opportunity to be able to bring mm-hmm. down resources to kind of that level.
1: Gotcha. So, gotcha. That was a good project for us, uh, actually. Like we got a lot of mileage out of. Uh, just experimenting with body key point estimation on camera feeds. And Mm. one of the first things we learned is, you know, yoga is easier to do because you're not moving that fast, Mm. but uh, getting the inference uh, time down so that we could work off of like faster motion and moving from like something like image classification Mm. to like video classification, being able to do things with activity recognition, this like uh, kind of was, the, the seed to uh, maybe a half a dozen uh, work projects that we were doing that are based around that idea of analyzing video feed and looking at body key points to make inference about what a person might be doing.
2: Very cool, very cool. I uh, Just to kind of go on a tangent real quick, uh, yes. this is super interesting, right? So what what are some of the end applications beyond like yoga that you guys see kind of coming out of this type of technology?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, um, with the, the Yoga AI and what what became Action AI, mm-hmm. our generalization of, of that idea, uh, we were able to show lightweight activity recognition that could be deployed on something like a RASPi. Okay. And uh, right now, the best activity recognition models, they don't really run in real time. They don't run mm-hmm. at the edge. So it means that you can't really build an application um, that is going to be... Uh, low latency and be able to infer a bunch of information about how people are uh, interacting in a scene and so you could ask yourself uh where that might be useful like mm-hmm. if you are um in some in some context where you need to closely monitor how people are moving some people are building products around uh helping helping to understand what's happening in an operating room where some mm-hmm. people are uh you know putting this this kind of sensing technology in some part of their warehouse so there's a different different context where being able to decompose the uh, the scene into who's doing what, when, how uh, that's all that's all pretty important. And action AI was a was a tool that we had built that allowed people to really quickly customize this uh, type of model to their activities that they might want to be monitoring specialized to the camera perspectives they might be facing and all the other kind of practical things that uh, you would deal with as you're trying to really build an application and you realize you can't run that research demo that's meant for like a GPU with 16 gigs and you can't really build like any kind of IoT prototype with that.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the example of like Action AI, where it was um, um, a tool to help you uh, extract key points and then track them through time to try to identify like emotion or classify mm. that into something. Um, like for example, we took that base kind of modeling uh, yeah. to then feed into another prototype project where we're trying to identify deepfakes. So mm-hmm. we took those same ideas about like tracking key points uh, mm-hmm. on a human face or like you know other body areas to try to identify whether a sequence was deepfaked or if it was real. So we Mm -hmm. kind of anticipate that some of the components or the the foundational computer vision models that we're helping people create quickly uh, can then be used in all kinds of ways that we might not even imagine right now uh, might tie into, right? Like you might not necessarily connect the action AI problem about identifying people dancing versus running or something to Mm -hmm. then identifying deepfakes.
1: Sure. The, the, the body key point estimation, you know, uh, we can just generalize that to thinking about when do we need to take an image frame and uh, make some really uh, localized uh, regression, like we need to find a point. So it's face key points in one context or body key points in another. People will tune these models to identify key points on an animal. And okay. it doesn't have to be um, a, a living thing. You know, you mm-hmm. can find special points on any kind of object. Mm-hmm. And if it was moving around in a way that understanding the position of those key points in time was a strong <laughs> signal, then you could use this same idea that, that we're talking about to try to classify, um, classify the, the mode of activity for that thing. Very cool.
2: Very cool. So it it almost sounds like, you know, in in sort of the way that LLMs are a a lingual intelligence in a way, this is the visual side, right? So if you think about a human being having all of these different forms of intelligence that flow through each other and interact,
1: this is kind of the building the eyes for the robots, if that makes sense we we want to uh do something like that and to borrow that analogy with llms you know there's a fantastic work Uh, meta put out some work recently around foundation models for vision and Mm -hmm. so you can kind of see things um, trending in that way still but there's a lot of these very specialized tasks you know vision is not something that is well handled by uh, a unified model or a Mm -hmm. single collection of models like chat gpt right like when you look at vision and where it's made the most progress now you're probably looking at autonomous vehicles Mm. and so there's all these cameras and some are like hyper specialized to seeing in the far the far distance and others are for looking at things nearby and it's like very fit to the perspective and so forth so uh, we you know we imagine like to, to reach the best performance, we're talking Mm -hmm. about bringing small models close to the camera device so that it it can tighten that iteration loop. Um, but we're also talking about specializing to the perspective of the camera. And so in robotics and autonomous vehicles, probably lots of, um, uh, IOT products, Mm -hmm. probably AR and VR, you're going to want to, um, you're going to want to recognize that there's like a mode of, for that perspective, if it's a human point of view, if it's down by the wheel, wheel well of a car, there's, a, there's things to take advantage of there so that you can get mm-hmm. even faster models that are even more accurate because they take advantage of all the priors knowing that my perspective looks like this. So the morphology of the cars, the robots, that's all gonna uh, be pretty important to bring vision to, to the hardware. In, in, in a way, vision is kind of more coupled with, with mm-hmm. the hardware problem.
0: Yeah, I would say gotcha. the also barring off of the LLM analogy, uh, mm-hmm. obviously that's it's uh, been exploding in, in popularity because it's so easy to use, right? And it can be so flexible in so many contexts. And I think taking inspiration from that, mm-hmm. we kind of want to build the equivalent for vision, um, mm-hmm. where essentially you know a user is able to just tell uh, our engine or Remix AI agent. Um, what it needs to do. And then it will then customize the components, the vision components under the hood and put those together into a system Mm -hmm. that then just executes whatever the end user is, is looking to to have.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Very interesting. We'll, we'll come back to this, but I I do want to bridge into kind of how does all of these pieces that you worked on kind of in the lead up to remix, how did that inform your approach to actually, you know, going to market, building the product, all of that?
1: Well, I guess t- to to take take the baton from what you were saying here, I think uh, we we were really inspired by the ease of use of uh, dealing with chat. I think when we mm-hmm. first started building Remix, our original conception was just like all in on automation, eliminate any decision for the end user. But um, we we actually found that people would prefer to have more transparency. They want to understand Mm -hmm. what decisions were being made. So it was important for us to um, earn the trust of the more advanced user who kind of knew what what they should expect Mm -hmm. or to educate the novice who had no idea what to expect. It was important for us to kind of surface some of the information behind like the execution plan for how we're training the model, surface those options in case the advanced user wants to override a decision, wants to mm. wants to change that, and so I think we really saw through the chat interface um, recently. Uh, LLMs with tools uh, and, and OpenAI's functions have made it possible to uh, make this chat very interactive, very robust, and so we were um, really leaning in on bringing LLMs into the product that way. Where where we started was. To, to bring auto ML to data generators, we we mm-hmm. understood that that uh, LLM reasoning engine and the agent to interact with was a really valuable part of uh, what we could do with Remix. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I would say that uh, for me, my especially my latest experience, um, I was talking to a lot of customers every day, um, mm-hmm. coming from all different backgrounds, and I think that uh, all of the the various like hiccup or you know, blockers that a lot of these groups were experiencing to me, it kind of all distilled down to um, if they had something that was very easy to use, mm-hmm. then they would get past a lot of these hurdles. Um, and so I think um, the latest developments in LLM and generative AI and, and the first idea of coupling generative AI with auto ML uh, mm-hmm. was kind of trying to come up with a solution that was hitting more on the nose on that ease of use. I think that over the last, you know, decade or so, we've had lots of tools to enable more developers, but it's still kind of like a, a very technical developer, a very specialized developer that can use these tools effectively. And so I think with the latest waves of kind of like the, the latest iteration of AI, we think that we can make something a lot simpler for more people to use. So that's that's kind of the the, the goal.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. That, that makes a lot of sense. So who then is your guys' kind of ideal user? Um, if if you're making it more, you know, kind of adoptable to non-specialized technical folks,
1: I suppose we we uh, think that right now an ideal user is somebody uh, who's trying to build like IoT uh, projects, like we were, and um, the the challenges of doing that for like a custom application are mm-hmm. not trivial, as we're saying, but they they uh, that shouldn't necessarily be a blocker to their innovation. And so, if we can provide that scaffolding that allow people to um, to de-risk the development of something or prototype something if it's for a project, if it's for some early initiative in in um, in their company, what they want to do with product, I, I think um, we we think that it's a uh, we think we think that it, that the tool is going to be really well well suited to knock down those those challenges for a lot of users and make it uh, more accessible to a much broader audience.
0: Yeah, I, I visualize that we start off with folks who are very interested in, in building these applications, but maybe like don't have the data or, mm. you know, aren't really trying to uh, get into the weeds of which architecture do I pull and how do I put this mm. together? Um, and I, I see it overall as we continue building out the platform and the features to support just general software engineers so you don't have to have any kind of context about machine learning particularly to be able to produce Mm -hmm. something of that nature and and then use it in other contexts and then maybe eventually even expand out to non-technical engineering folks so people who might be uh, more kind of product development they might have ideas but maybe not necessarily practicing they might be able Mm -hmm. to put together a concept or a demo that then can be relayed off to another team to build out more fully so I, I think that's kind of the trajectory I see so far.
1: And then, well, then just uh, one more uh, uh, on that, you know, as we're talking about the tool developing and, and uh, mm-hmm. becoming accessible to less and less technical personas, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately we see uh, a space where agents need to see still. And so an agent might be tasked with processing a lot of video or, you um, going through a directory of images and finding something. It might be tasked with uh, monitoring a camera feed. In all of these uh, situations where we're talking about not just a one-off, send an image up to the cloud and get your answer, mm-hmm. but something more intensive and probably needs to be more customized. So bringing, bringing vision to agents probably entails some, some uh, um, uh, combination of what we're doing to quickly use transfer learning to quickly use some vaguely specified user intent mm-hmm. and map that to a recipe where you can get a high quality model to do the task.
2: I see. Got you. And, and you've mentioned a couple of times edge versus cloud for, for those who aren't familiar, would you mind just kind of explaining that dichotomy?
1: Sure. Yeah,
0: sure. I would say cloud would be, you're using one of these you know, popular cloud services like AWS, no. uh, Google cloud, Azure, um, and you're essentially using their services in large compute resources to stand up, uh, for example, a server an API that can then interface with your model uh, and produce a result for you. Mm. Uh, usually, this might entail you know larger infrastructure, many computers, maybe GPUs. So you have the ability to have you know vast compute to then be able to execute and work on your model or uh, use your model down to the edge. Uh, I think when when we Say that term, we kind of mean more like your the the machine learning model or the the process program is actually running on your local machine, whether it be your laptop or whether it be like an NVIDIA Jetson or some device that the you browser. have locally. The browser that's mm. also edge. So some area where there's uh, much less resources, you're constrained. So if you mm-hmm. you know you don't have the the ability to now turn on a bunch of computers to help yeah. with uh, being able to inference or, or run that model.
1: There's going to be, There'll be situations where it makes sense to use the cloud. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you're running a model that needs a large GPU, um, that's gonna be the best way to do the inference most likely because on robots you have constraints around power, like how much battery can you pack around? So some types of workloads, uh, it'll be just better to send it off but there's that trade-off of uh, the latency. And depending on the kinds of decisions you're making, the kinds of data you have, it can be better to uh, do more processing on the edge. Um, Sometimes privacy is an issue. Like there's many reasons why you might prefer to um, not send the data around and and to just get what you can off of uh, some client device.
2: I see, makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense. So just to pivot uh, slightly, did you both always know that you were going to be entrepreneurs or was this something that kind of came of opportunity?
1: Oh, I guess, you know, we have been, um, you know, pretty independent, uh, with, with our work and, uh, uh, consulting and entrepreneurial, uh, thinking about invention and, and these oh, right. trends we're talking mm-hmm. about, like how, how you can build a brand and, uh, you know, find, find your audience on the internet and, mm-hmm. and, uh. I guess like we'd gravitated towards that. I know for me early, earlier on, uh, machine learning meant at at one time meant like you're just doing like click-through rate prediction. Those were the problems Mm -hmm. that mattered. And it wasn't interesting for me to, to work on those problems. And I, that's why I was gravitating more towards using deep learning and understanding like content. And I was Mm -hmm. interested in, uh, kind of, analyzing really complex data and getting structure out of it. And so I gravitated towards these problems where where maybe the bottleneck in processing what was something like uh, deep learning on a camera feed. And so I guess to me, the problem space was more interesting. I thought the building for ourselves would be more interesting. Like, I don't have a click through rate prediction problem, <laughs> but I can imagine lots of exciting things that I would like to see, like moving around, mm-hmm. doing stuff for me. I I uh, love the idea of kind of kicking back and knowing that there's a lot of automation happening, and I, and I'm uh, yeah. doing doing so many things because of the investments I'm making into those mm-hmm. systems. And so I think lots of people want that. It's just uh, still a challenge for anybody. Not everyone can build their own, but it is getting a lot easier Mm -hmm. for people who can build them to uh, uh, package them for others. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're really thinking a lot about now is like, how can we take the problems that we were really interested in that have been difficult for others Mm -hmm. and just try to package that to help others have a higher success rate. It's like building the model is just a small part of that product. You know, mm. there's an awesome paper out there, uh, highly cited, hidden technical debt in machine learning, and mm. that's that's really like kind of uh, the maybe the genesis of like ML ops is understanding that the the model training is just a small part of all the infrastructure that goes into maintaining uh, and, and developing a system that can uh, not succumb to the to the problems like data drifts and different things that you need to monitor for. So, for us. Uh, Getting into this space and seeing how complex it is, and understanding that if uh, if we did what 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 we're seeing out there, which is to make a copilot for these kind mm-hmm. of workflows, if we could if we could do that effectively, there would be a lot more of these products that we're excited to see. And so, yeah. I think like being able to being able to uh, take something that we were so passionate about, we like kind of uh, spent the last decade, more or less uh, diving into it, taking that and making it more accessible and scalable, we think is like the most realistic approach to AI, uh, making it out in the products that we see, like not everyone's gonna be able to um, have have these big costly initiatives and like kind of research projects and everything.
0: I think for me, I definitely did not plan on entrepreneurship. I Mm. had a vague idea of what that meant, um, but when we started Smells Like ML, I think that was kind of like one of my first tastes of what that world was about. It was, uh, you know, I was very excited by building. I love making things, generally speaking, whether it be software, hardware, or, you know, other stuff. Um, so that energizes me a lot. And then I also kind of, through that um, endeavor, trying to put out a blog and promote it and connect with people and, and talk about that, I think kind of discovered other parts of entrepreneurship, even though I didn't really call it that, or I knew about it at the time. Um, and so I gravitate towards, um, just being able to wear a lot of hats and be able to put something together and then hopefully be able to service other people and have that help them in some capacity. I think that's very exciting and and very fulfilling, uh, in my case.
2: hundred percent. That's awesome. Um, so I'm going to throw a big word out there. Um, disambiguation, uh, what is it and why is it a problem? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, that's a, that is an interesting challenge that we were thinking a lot about as we're describing, like, how can you um, allow a user to give you some vaguely specified intent? Like the, the idea that I was keeping, the example I was keeping in mind was uh, BASS, B-A-S-S. It's a a word that uh, has many meanings. There's like something like nine different ways to interpret that word. Mm. And depending on the way it's pronounced, we might know that you mean fish uh, uh, or we might know that you mean, meant bass for music Mm. or or an instrument, some quality of music. And so I guess uh, thinking about that example, you know, we we were uh, trying to figure out, what ways to robustly parse the user's intent and make the mm-hmm. right right decision if uh if you had additional context like you know the other class that you needed to predict was trout or something like this then it'd be it'd be the right assumption to make right. the uh the bass was the fish but um, maybe maybe take that idea a step further and what if the two words you had were bass mm-hmm. and drum it turns out that you know you can interpret those words both musically and as uh two types of fish mm. and so the the important idea here is like getting as much context as you can from the user like when we have a user fill out through the text prompt there's a lot of ways them to describe what they're what they're doing with the problem. There's ways for additional context to uh, help help uh, tip the the agent into reasoning about it one way or another. Mm-hmm. But we also present the uh, plan to the users so that they can kind of check off on things. And uh, part of ways that we're generating the data is like when we when we understand the context of of um, these concepts that were introduced by the user. Like I want to train a Fish classifier and my classes are uh, Mm -hmm. trout and bass or whatever. We can we can um, we can also use these powerful LLMs to give us more information to help us with generating data or retrieving data. So when we know uh, when we know more information about the context of how the uh, application will be deployed, it can help us uh, generate data that's closer to the distribution you expect to encounter. We're, we're working on ways to uh, extrapolate from a very, very small set of images and getting a lot of the information we can to uh, to generate better data, too. Gotcha. Gotcha, yeah, very cool.
0: When uh, Terry came up with that example and he was kind of, like, working through his mm-hmm. thinking logic on that, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, an area that we need to account for, and yeah. I think... Um, yeah, baking into the application further, the use of LLMs and various aspects, like to disambiguate what a user might mean to then mm-hmm. also kind of guiding them through what context is necessary for us to then be able to produce an output from that right. uh, has been an interesting, uh, you know, add to the, to the product. And I think helping us get further into that ease of use for users. Mm-hmm.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. And then I would imagine on the flip side of that is kind of, the model being able to rationalize why it's doing what it's doing, right? So that's one unique thing about Remix is that you guys also provide the rationale that kind of leads to the decisions. Have you guys found that that kind of increases user trust in the model?
1: Well, we, we did uh, introduce that to address an issue that had come up. We were chatting with a Redditor and uh, the comment was, you know about how intermediate and advanced users are going to want to understand what's under the hood there mm. and so uh this this was a a useful idea we we thought that would uh, help earn the trust of these types of users and also kind of educate the uh the less opinionated or more novice uh users about the types of choices we're making and uh you could imagine like Adding more explanation to that, you could imagine introducing more of the domain knowledge that you would uh, uh, surface there and make a chat agent that can really guide you through more of uh, the how and why behind these decisions in machine learning. For now, it's it's uh, pretty simple. It's like sticks to the plan we chose. And what we've done is we've used a lot of the uh, best practices that have emerged in engineering and, and from research, we've combined a lot of that and uh, kind of provided that context for the agent in your interaction so that you can benefit from the priors that we would have used mm-hmm. uh, if, if we were talking with you right now about helping you build a, a new model for an application that you wanted to enable vision for.
0: Yeah, I think that kind of also ties into uh, the transparency that we got feedback from um, that would be a great add to the application. And then kind of uh, using that, Concept or idea to then also move into more explainable AI. I think mm. something that kind of has been brewing in our minds is that uh, in the future there's going to be more of these agents, kind of like independently executing logic, um, and we're going to want to have the software engineer right now that might have a heavy hand in creating that code. Mm-hmm. Now that it's becoming cheaper to just generate and you know auto execute have that engineer uh, function more as an executive. So being able to check Mm. off on what is occurring or what the agent is going to plan to do before it executes it. So kind of we're right now starting on the building blocks of being able to have that uh, kind of executive summary that a user then gets presented and then signs off on.
2: Gotcha. So actually, you know what? That that kind of prompts an interesting question. So... Mm. You guys are um, co-founders of Remix, an AI company, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Machine learning, more accurately. How do you approach kind of adding new headcount? Is that something that you think of through the lens of, is this automatable first?
1: Well, uh, for us, you know, the the headcount question is not something we're thinking a lot about yet. It's still super early. It's just the two Mm -hmm. of us. But um we do see we do see uh, these tools enabling people to do a lot more. and I think a lot of people are saying, you know, your strategy in growing a team mm-hmm. is gonna need to take this uh, into account. Definitely. And so for us, you know, we really value the fact that we're um, we, we both own like much of of, of the um, decision making in here mm-hmm. with the uh, with the um, with remix. and I guess like, we can operate as two people with high bandwidth and a lot of kind of uh, ability to bounce these ideas around and, and iterate and uh, improve that. I guess like as as uh, the team grows, you know, um, we we do think that there'll be plenty of things that we can sort of uh, delegate and automation is going to play a big part of that. We're investing a lot into of dog fooding around things that we think we'll be doing a lot of you know i we mentioned that uh we've built this automation around machine learning but uh something that we've just been interested in uh, or finding ourselves doing a lot of as we're showing showing our work is video Mm -hmm. production so we've Mm -hmm. been developing uh tools around that too and so for us i suppose like headcount you know, we we think uh, a lot of teams are going to be able to go far with fewer people building out uh, more tools like this, or using services, delegating in different ways, um, and and being able to kind of own the full uh, own the means of production more fully on mm-hmm. their teams. So we expect uh, to enjoy that advantage since we've started as a small team and we've. Been building uh, these kinds of tools and, and products for ourselves a lot for years now.
0: Yeah, I would say that uh, obviously right now we're just getting started. We have to be scrappy with with all the resources that we mm-hmm. have, and so we're going to use automation to the best to our advantage. Um, but obviously, as as we hopefully hope to grow and expand, we're going to need to bring on more folks to help us essentially proliferate and develop this further. Um, we haven't crossed that threshold yet, but when we do, I envision that I'd love to bring on folks from you know, a wide range of experiences, mm-hmm. a wide range of thought, of perspectives. I think that that has helped us uh, a lot in terms of maybe not necessarily coming from traditional backgrounds or approaching problems in novel ways that maybe you know pieces weren't tied together before. Um, I think we found a lot of success in that, and I'd love to replicate that with like as we expand the team um, I think that'd be really awesome, and I'd love to. You know, as we bring on folks, for everyone to have like a lot of sense of ownership. So mm-hmm. just being able to kind of share the the load across everyone, and, and we're all building something, sharing our perspective or our spike into building, you know, a tool that it theoretically and hopefully will serve lots of people. So we're going to need to account for lots of people's experiences mm-hmm. and requirements.
2: Right on, right on. I so I, I would like to kind of get a sense. Being, you know, co-founders in this space uh, and being builders and, and tinkerers, um, what is kind of your guys' approach to, you know, GTM, all of those things, the, the boxes that you need to check? Because you guys have an interesting background having also done, you know, Smells Like ML and and kind of flex that muscle to some degree.
1: Well, um, we, we have found Smells Like ML has been a good way for us to get a bunch of signups you know the uh that that brand that uh has has caused like um us to to have the distribution but Mm -hmm. we've also been trying to build this new brand from scratch and so there's a challenge there and uh kind of converting an audience from one to the other actually and we're still we're still trying to do that i think uh uh we haven't taken as many opportunities like this to kind of put our ideas out and talk through more of the details and so what we've have done, uh, besides putting out blog content, where we do talk about some of this and newsletters and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, all the typical social media avenues to show our work. What we what we have done is uh, been preparing for uh, a lot of content that we want to share, especially for this kind of um, developer. And so there's platforms like Hackster, DevPost, places where there's like uh, hackathons going uh, <laughs> going on, and we'd like to tap into those communities. When we were first building the engine early on, it was too early for us to reach this audience, but uh, we saw a contest. Uh, that Snap ML was uh, putting on like sponsoring a contest on DevPost. There were thousands of uh, people like trying to build custom machine learning applic or trying to build machine learning applications mm-hmm. in a Snap ML app, and we would love to uh, find that audience and and say, hey, use this tool to do something custom, because what you find uh, in practice is. Uh, There's lots of code reference examples and they're often based around like maybe the same set of models or something like this. And when you want a new model, you might first go look to a model zoo, but Mm -hmm. still many of those examples are uh, based on having been pre-trained on the same research data set. So it, it really is that uh, last mile optimization, the uh, customization steps that are required to go from, I have all the resources in theory to like, now this works very well for my application. Right.
0: The way I think I, I see go to market, as, as Terry described, is very developer centric to start. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're a two person team, and, and we might be kind of like a, you know, scrappy uh, kind of like a efficient resources type team. And I think Uh, kind of going developer first might be a good strategy for us to start with. Um, I'd love to win the the hearts and minds of developers by enabling them. Uh, As Terry described, we were thinking about putting on contests where folks are invited to come in and and try out the engine to build something new. I think Mm -hmm. that that would, you know, developers who are coming in to build maybe personal projects or an idea that they have on minimal resources kind of Helps uh, paint that theory or thesis that we have that you know you can do something like this very minimal resources using a service like Remix AI, mm-hmm. um, and through being able to kind of take their feedback and see how those those uh, you know first group of users use the tool and how they'd like to interface with it, I think that'll inform how we want to build out the ecosystem, the platform, so that it could then service more startup, commercial, enterprise grade um, yeah. communities. I think that, um, you know, there's different motions It could be top down or bottoms up in terms of, you know, how you might sell to an organization. Uh, and I'm a fan of uh, bottoms up. I think that, you know, being able to win the, the minds and hearts of the users of the tool that are then building out through the tool, like the actual product to the, you know, um, the stakeholders. I think that that works really well.
1: Mm-hmm. on that note you know uh, anyone can actually get a free model just by signing up so oh, wow. if you want to try it out make a model it'll take about 30 minutes probably and uh, and I think just making it like really accessible for people to try it out test it on your own examples give us feedback and we'll give you uh, some more free free model runs we're uh, still trying to build it out and uh, really find really find uh, uh, the the customer base that this is going to be like really exciting for, but uh, we think that there's not really anything like it out there for you. If you're just trying to find a model to uh, infer Mm -hmm. if this thing is in the field of view or where it is, can you detect it? There's, there's no faster way to get a custom model to try out. So uh, you can do that. And we hope to, Asama says like went over developers with, uh, with, a one-of-a-kind kind of product product experience in machine learning.
2: Perfect. You heard them guys. Go get a free model. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, I have uh, just two questions left for you guys because we're running a little tight on time. Um, this first one, I'm not exactly sure what I even necessarily want to ask, but it's a, it's a hot topic kind of in, I think, computer vision, right, mm-hmm. is um, just to whatever extent you feel comfortable talking about it, what do you guys think about some of the concerns around... You know security and surveillance when it comes to computer vision
1: oh very very serious issues you know as we're talking about cameras on everywhere mm-hmm. uh i think people are entitled to uh, privacy and i think you know we thought about privacy a lot you know we we were thinking uh some time ago about uh solutions around that like how could you automatically mask uh, uh, images to protect mm-hmm. privacy and make it where you needed to unlock a video file to uh, be be privileged to see like what was happening there like how can you how can you enable privacy by default mm. and so for us uh we are excited that for now like a uh, lot of privacy is built in by design because we're not taking uh user data at the moment like mm. we're going to work on ways to work with very limited user data but we want to allow the user to have you know the the total decision power on um, if if that data is persisted and and uh, when it goes away i think um as far as like surveillance and, uh, and a lot of the kind of ethical issues in computer vision, um, it's it's another reason why we're excited about the tool. Having internet scale data and generators means that we don't have to compromise on uh, uh, providing the ability to uh, help someone train a person detector. But we also don't want to uh, necessarily be leaning into owning um uh models of that type Mm -hmm. you know there's there are you know services or experts people that are really committed to making models that are like very reliable and fair Mm -hmm. and we don't think that that's the uh the strength of generative ai uh Mm -hmm. data sets right now but where it does shine is in getting you access to data that would be difficult to acquire you know internet skill data you've seen Many of the objects that you might realistically care about, you've seen them many times and through enough variation that these models are pretty good at uh, giving you data that meets the requirements. And and so being able to help someone build up that custom data set that doesn't exist yet is probably where the strength of uh, generators and internet scale data like this is right now. But um, there's biases in that data set that won't work for every situation. Earlier, I was talking about a camera specialized to the Mm -hmm. perspective of the wheel hub of a car. But we don't have uh, large scale data sets like that. You know, this is part of uh, uh, the investment that we'll need to make as more users are turning to those use cases and more investments in procedurally generated data, Mm -hmm. like going outside of what can be done with the generators that are have been open sourced specializing our own generators. As we mm-hmm. get um, more users using the data and we're building out beyond just the model training as we're able to uh, deal with model deployment mm-hmm. and as we're able to work out ways to uh, sample that data, we'll be able to uh, specialize our models to better suit those those users so we have a we have a starting point with this Mm -hmm. technology but there's still a lot of work and especially as we're trying to like navigate the ethical issues around um putting cameras that can sense everything out there uh right right
0: yeah i think you know uh, as we we start off, obviously, where we're at the very beginning, so kind of like starting to lay the foundation of some of those components. Mm-hmm. But I do think that as, as the space develops, as we develop as an organization, that these, these use cases are definitely going to be sought after many people. And I think that um, you know, bringing it back to that explainable AI angle, I think that's even going to be more and more important as we kind of get deeper into using these technologies um, bringing more and more context to the end user about what the machine learning model has captured and how it operates, I think mm-hmm. will be really important if people choose to use you know, these technologies in that context. So I think uh, I'm excited to see more of that happening so that we do have safer applications in those more sensitive contexts.
2: No, right on. It's uh, it's definitely heartening to hear that, you know, the people building these uh, types of things are thinking about it, though, right? Like, I, I think <laughs> that that's, that's Yeah, 100%. Um, all right. So, last question. Uh, you two have had kind of long careers in this field um, and built a name for yourselves, uh, Remix. Um, I have talked to quite a few people who are very excited uh, about you guys. Um, cool. So, all that being said, w- from your vantage point, what advice would you give to you know, budding entrepreneurs who are looking to get into the field?
1: Well, um, I would definitely say, like, turn to the problems that you're interested in and and try to co-pilot your own workflows. You'll be more productive. You'll be able to focus on the interest, interesting mm-hmm. parts. So much of uh, these tasks are uh, just kind of like a series of decisions that have to be made. Like there's some executive uh, decision-making at certain junctions, but then in between that is a bunch of rote work, things that a a program or a tool is good at. And so try to find that and try to kind of uh, abstract your workflow into parts where you are focusing more on like those key decisions and everything else will be kind of better, more reliable, faster, cheaper. I think trying to co-pilot the, the things that you're interested in or you want to do better is a great place for entrepreneurs to be looking to who are trying to get into AI.
0: Yeah. I, w- I would say um, even so far, it was like our, our short journey already has taught me a lot of things. And I think one of, one that has stuck through me is don't let your current limitations Limit you indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know, just because you don't know how to do a thing right now, doesn't mean that you might have the tools accessible to you at this moment to go and learn it and go do it. Um, one one example that comes up to mind early in the year is that uh, you know, f- to build out the MVP for the the first conception of of the product, which is mm-hmm. the AutoML plus the generative AI, we knew that probably a, a more complex infrastructure that I personally hadn't had experience building before would be required for the short term and and hopefully in the long term, that would be kind of like the best decision to build into. Um, But I definitely had to learn a lot of tools along Mm -hmm. the way to make that happen. And I think that, you know, initially we thought it would take us uh, a few other people, a few other folks to bring on um, maybe more money, resources, time to just get that MVP out. Um, but by just kind of taking a step back and then seeing the ecosystem of tools, even things like chat GPT to help kind of guide you on how to do a thing, um, uh, mm-hmm. I think more of the, the things that, you know, you need to do and, and might not know how to do them now are actually closer in reach than you think they are. So kind of just go for it.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. Both great answers. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's, it's more and more necessary, right? It's like, um. I had a boss at one point who said, never ask me something that you can Google, right? <laughs> um, I think that's that's become relatively universal at this point. <laughs> so, guys, uh, thank you so much for this. It was a fantastic conversation. Where can people find you,
1: follow you? Sure. Uh, uh, th- visit Remix AI and follow us on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. YouTube
0: too, so we'll put more resources up there. I think the landing page, Remix.ai, is the best place. You'll find um, most of the resources there. Um, And you can always shoot us an email. You can say Mm -hmm. Terry at Remix.ai or Selma at Remix.ai if you need anything.
2: Perfect. Perfect. And it's R-E-M-Y-X, just so that everybody's clear.
0: Mm -hmm. You got it.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry and Selma. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. And, And thanks again for hosting. I think it was a lovely conversation. Great opportunity. Oh, my pleasure.
2: My pleasure.